0: Hello and welcome to Read It For The Pictures, the comic book podcast where we read it for the pictures. I'm Dave Clark, and with me is a man who's $10 for the first minute, $2 for each additional minute, Neil Caput, How you doing, Neil?
1: Good. I come from the age of 1-800-COLLECT. I can't believe I remember that reference. But today... From Comixology, we have something from a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is Star Wars Volume 1, Skywalker Strikes, published by Marvel in 2015, written by Jason Aaron, illustrated by John Cassidy, or cassidy I don't know how it's pronounced, and colored by Laura Martin. And I picked this because... You apparently have issues with Star Wars. Yeah, I, um,
0: a couple of weeks ago you suggested doing a Star Wars book offhand, and I got irrationally angry about it. And you felt that you were getting too irrationally angry on the podcast, so now it's my turn.
1: Yes, and what better source of anger than this incredibly successful, even but even putting aside the low standards of the comics industry. Star Wars interqual comic, set between the first and second movies.
0: Yeah. It's um it's an odd duck this one. Yeah, it's um kinda hard to believe we're already two years into the Star Wars like coming back as a thing. It kinda feels like it was only a couple of months ago that um, Episode 7 came out, but I suppose it's been longer.
1: Well, I did enjoy the 1977 version of The Force Awakens, but putting that aside, the, the Star Wars line has been one that's actually done really well for Marvel, even as... The rest of their line turns into a noxious grease fire of deteriorating sales. Possib- and one of the reasons is because they took the effort to put good artists on all their books. Like they, The fact that this book launched with John Cassidy on art, since he's very much a superstar artist, kind whose name alone moves comics... And there were concerns that he wouldn't be able to put this out on time, as he was unable to do for X-Men or Uncanny Avengers. But we actually did get all six issues of this out on time, and now it's collected. And then he stops, he leaves the book there, but we always have this piece of Cassidy work. So he stopped with issue six, eh? Yeah, well... He did his tour of duty on this.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, whatever frustrations I have about Star Wars, uh, they did not come up so much in the art with this. It's it's good. It's good Star Wars art. Well,
1: as we were talking about before recording, the this is very much 1977 Star Wars. Maybe it's a consequence of heavily referencing both the fit. Faces of the actors and the details of the various weapons and vehicles and costumes. But it has a very rustic, clunky look to it. Kind of the dirty, diesel-punk look that Ralph McQuarrie, the concept artist for the original Star Wars, intended. And I think that helps make it an enjoyable reading experience for me. Because it it wasn't the folk... Music, popular version of the Star Wars tale. It was clearly done as the Star Wars movies translated as faithfully as possible to comics, except with the infinite budget of comics, so you can have the kind of scenes that would be very difficult even now to film, even with Lucasfilm's seemingly endless budget.
0: You were saying what do you what do you mean about the like the folk version of Star Wars? Like... Just like
1: remember how when we were doing that X Men podcast, we talked about how the character designs were pretty simplified and mentioned how the more unique edges were kind of filed off over the years. That's, oh yes, that's what I meant. Like how we all have the image that comes up in our heads of Darth Vader or of the AT-AT or of Chewbacca etc and this the images here they have all the dirt they have all the bizarre bits and bobs that might be filed off in a different artist even like the detail on the stormtroopers armors which were never particularly complicated just a bunch of guys in white plates over a black bodysuit but you can see like the back detail that looks kind of like a uh, cassette tape and the hinges on the sides of their visors and the little belt details maybe i'm reading too much into this particular one over any other star wars thing but it just felt more like, set the, like the concept art as opposed to the version everyone has in their head of the characters. And again, that might just be a consequence of referencing it.
0: Yeah, it's um like if you do an a X-Men comic and you have to draw a Wolverine, there's sort of a number of places you can go to for reference. Like there's like a handful of costumes and he's had it like, different artists have done different hairstyles and what have you over the years. But, like, particularly with this Star Wars comic that's set in between two movies, there's a way everything should look because it was on a film and, like, all like all of the Stormtrooper costumes were, like, made and worn by human beings. And, like, a lot of the... Well, for the original movies, all of the ships had props. So, it's actually one of the things that's... Like... Well, somewhat disappointing about this is that every single element of it existed in the movies. People like to talk down the prequel movies, but one thing they had is that they went to new places that had new things. Like, each one had, like, new characters and new planets. But with this, like, even though they go to this new planet that has, like, a weapons facility... It's all into like corridors, which are uh, like all the all the inside of the corridors is referenced from like scenes from the movies when they're in like uh, Bespin or the Death Star.
1: Yes, it's clearly designed to evoke nostalgia, but at least some of the set pieces are of a kind of scale that you might not see in the movies, like with Darth Vader fighting an AT-AT walker piloted by Han and Leia and it's it's not even like in the Empire strikes back where it was Luke in a speeder a, another vehicle pulling the cord around its legs this is showing the one man Darth Vader just holding his own against a giant walking vehicle and like tearing it apart just with the force at the joints and i thought that was pretty cool. Even like seeing him dodge the different weapons fire all firing at him at once. So, I mean that could be done in this day and age. Maybe it couldn't have been done back then, but I did think the spectacle was pretty impressive. And maybe, I know that Darth Vader's outfit looked similarly rustic in the original and they're just referencing that, but I do like how kind of rough and padded his suit looks. Like, it's kind of a chainmail texture. That, And, to be fair, that's just something Cassidy tends to draw. Like, he, when he started drawing Captain America, he made a point of texturing the chainmail to the point where he looked like a red, white, and blue chicken. But almost every other artist has done that with Cap since, so... It stuck. It was an impressive look. It created texture, and it also shows that Darth Vader is in this kind of retro futuristic World War two in space milieu.
0: yeah, it's like there's a lot of stuff to like about the art in here, but it's like seventy per- seventy percent of the compliments should be in said. Going to Ralph McQuarrie, who did the designs for the original movies. Well,
1: it, for a basis of comparison, we could read other Star Wars comics, in with from this point onward, and see if other people have captured Ralph McQuarrie as well as John Cassidy has.
0: Yeah, he's also good with um the faces. There's a handful of there's a handful of shots for the faces well, particularly the noses, aren't quite right, but for the most part, you can, like, see that, yes, that is young Harrison Ford, that is a young Mark Hamill.
1: um... And that's, like, all three human faces that appear in this that have actor references.
0: There's also supposed to be some, like, imperial officer who's in the first issue, who I think may be, like, a new human. So... Maybe And,
1: not. of course, the final issue twist of Han Solo's ex-wife.
0: Oh, yeah. Spoilers, people.
1: It's an old spoiler by this point. And since there's an interquel, nothing she does will have any consequence on Empire Strikes Back onwards, so...
0: Yeah, it's... But, yeah, and even as far as, like, layout for this, most of this is, like, letterbox panels, which like a charitable reading would suggest that it's meant to look like storyboards for a film because really what they want you to do is imagine a film, like the film of these events that would be done in the stuff, like similar to the original movies.
1: Well, there's a reason that the widescreen letterbox format was adopted for movies and why a lot of artists, Cassidy along with Brian Hitch and Frank Quietly being one of the first to use this format so often, because it works really well to show scope and spectacle. I mean, there's
0: something to that. But also, it matches film storyboards which don't have the luxury of having different panel shapes. Like, every frame of a movie needs to be projected onto a screen with the same dimensions throughout.
1: True, but there are smaller panels in this. He does break up the monotony. Yeah,
0: it's... There are a few places, but... Like, I think... Yeah, there's a part where there's, like... Tall panels that have the speeder bike go... Like, racing from top to bottom. But, yeah. I I think they do, like, a a big two-page splash... When Boba Fett enters the bar... And it has, like, a few smaller panels with the people looking at him. But... Yeah, it's, um, what can I say? He does, like, everything in it has been referenced from something that was in the movies. He mostly uses letterbox panels, which match, like, storyboard layouts. He hits what, what, like, he hits what the actors look like. It's, It's a Star Wars comic. Like, it's a good one, but I'm not quite sure what more there is to say about this as, like, a piece of art.
1: Well, I'd also point to the Boba Fett-Luke Skywalker fight similar to the Darth Vader versus AT-AT fight as something where the movements aren't what they would have been doing in the the films. There's a lot more just happening. Like, Boba Fett comes in, he throws a flash grenade first so that Luke is blinded. Luke's trying to use the force to see, but its he's still pretty new at this. And Boba Fett throws in all his tricks, like the grappling launcher and his wrist thing, and his a flying tackle with his jet pack, and basically all the things that boba fett can do that made him popular in the expanded universe that he didn't for like the five minutes total he appeared in the background of frames on the show itself i mean the movies themselves yeah they
0: um boba fett in this does the stuff he couldn't do in the original movies but that jango fett could do in the prequels
1: except he keeps his head except he keeps his head yeah that, oh, and even I, then, I think there's some impre- some nice scenes that are laid out pretty impressively, like the ending with Darth Vader finding out that the rebel that's been foiling him really is Luke Skywalker, his son, and you just see without any deep, without actually seeing his face because it's covered by a mask his anger at this with the glass of he's looking out of the window shat forming a bunch of cracks like it doesn't actually shatter but cracks form all the way through it and he clenches his fist yeah
0: I, perhaps i'm a little bit too harsh on this i did think that the boba fett fight had some interesting was laid out interestingly
1: okay so don't get me wrong this is not cassidy's best work that would be planetary but But it is definitely a visually impressive thing, and it does do well referencing the very specific Star Wars it's referencing. I mean, you meant we should probably just talk about the nostalgia in general and how Star Wars just doesn't seem to accept new ideas. Well,
0: if, if we're moving away from the art because, yeah, uh, Star Wars is an odd duck. It's, um, like, it was the... F- if I'm remembering correctly, it was, like, the first real blockbuster, like, a huge movie that sort of, like, drove everything that the studio was, like, doing.
1: F- and well, oh, yeah. in a lot of different ways, like, it was this... Maybe there were other... Th- there were definitely other popular movies. There were definitely other spectacle movies. Other sci-fi movies, but a sci-fi movie that had like a huge budget for special effects and a lot of different things that are all carefully calculated for merchandising. So it it in a way it's like the first all-encompassing nerd brand. Yeah, in a way. And it's because it got there first. Everything else, Star Wars. In that first trilogy, shadow. And you did say that the prequels did at least try new things. Granted, they tried new things that sucked, but they did try, so...
0: Yeah, it's, um... Yeah, there's going to be more defense of the prequels coming up, so stay tuned, kids.
1: And then Force Awakens was just clearly putting new guys into old roles. Like, there's... A new Luke Skywalker, a new Han Solo, a new Wedge Antilles, a new Darth Vader. Once you get past the BS controversy people are having that Disney gained dead cast people who weren't white men in heroic roles, which is still a controversy at this terrible point in history. Yeah. It, was pretty much the same movie. It wasn't a bad movie. It had more of the things people liked about Star Wars, including, like, some actual humor and bantery dialogue between the characters. But past that, it's basically Star Wars A New Hope HD Remastered.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting comparing, like, a major property like Star Wars to a major property like Batman, where, like, if you were going to like do a like a major like a major Star Wars product and it's like okay this thing needs this is going to be a big product and it needs to be earn its money back and you go oh well obviously we try and hew as closely to the like what Star Wars is to most people which is the original 3 films there's an aesthetic for all the ships there's like the like the characters or the basic roles of the characters um, there's Jedi dressed up in robes, there's like sort of a grungy aesthetic to the ships, and that's what Star Wars is, and it's very sort of contained. Or if you look at Batman, like the popular adaptations of Batman, like, well, the popular versions of Batman have been like the 60s show, um, like the Burton movies, the the Nolan movies.
1: The animated series, animated, definitely.
0: The animated series, yes. And I, there's also like the Denny O'Neill Batman has its own aesthetic. It's it seems well, that t- as Batman was going along, it never quite had a, a. Well, also the Frank Miller like Dark Knight Returns Batman, but yeah,
1: Speaking Batman of John Cassidy. I don't know if you read the Planetary Batman crossover. He did.
0: I think I have it like he... It has, like, every different version of, like, the major versions of Batman.
1: Yeah, as Jakita Wagner is fighting a multi-universal composite of Batman, and she, like, fights the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams Batman, the Adam West Batman, the Dark Knight Returns Batman... And it does show that there's been so many different versions of Batman. Yeah. I guess because Batman started as a crudely drawn comic strip. Well, and there there was more license there to just reinterpret it in a different art style.
0: Yeah, it's like there never was a definitive Batman, so to speak. Like, there were popular ones, but there was never a definitive one, so that... There was a lot more room to play with what the what it was, and True. and well, yeah. It's funny that the prequels kind of go completely against that. They're like com- they're completely what the what the artist wanted to do, unshackled from the restraints of commerce.
1: And if the artist were doing something particularly good, that would be great, but. We had the use of green screen for almost everything. We had one of the worst scripts in terms of dialogue ever committed to the English language. And we had a story that nobody was particularly asking to see and didn't resolve in a way that fit the... That what they were also trying to do like and this is i go to step back a bit to try to get my thoughts more coherent but the, I, there's a reading that the prequels aren't about Anakin as a hero who went bad that he's a psychopathic man child even from book from the second prequel because he was taken at a very young age into this weird, creepy, sexless Jedi order and constantly fed all this stuff about how he's the chosen one while being told what he can and can't do at every turn, and I assume he had, like, no social life outside of training and missions, so he's not going to fit the mode of the archetypal hero. But they also wanted that to do that. I think even Lucas had that idea that he wanted to do Anakin as kind of a Luke Skywalker figure who goes bad, but it doesn't work. There's, you can't have it both ways with such radically different takes.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, everyone knows the prequels are bad. But to me, it's fun to imagine a conversation between Lucas and perhaps some market research like, team, and he's like, "Oh, so, well, what are, pe- what are people interested in for the prequels? Well, from the original movies, they, they love Darth Vader. They think he's a cool character, very imposing, very cool design. Um, they like the sort of um, grand, operatic, good versus evil, straightforward story. It's like, okay. And they... They like the grungy design of the ships, yeah, and they like that the movies are good. And George Lucas wrote down those things and said, okay, we're doing none of those.
1: <laughs> Though we might also say that it, the way in which Star Wars at its best was good was just that it was particularly operatic and impressive and that it had a bunch of cool stuff going on and and it was well executed. It wasn't a particularly novel story itself it's very much the hero's journey boilerplate down to everything joseph campbell noted in his works It and that might have also started helped kind of start a trend that movies have to have very defined roles for heroes and sidekicks and love interests and villains without at least not on this kind of budget. Much deviation from that.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Star Wars was so massive that if you're going to do anything with Star Wars on it, you kind of don't want to stray too far outside of that. And because it like because of that, a lot of Star Wars stuff is like limited in what it can be.
1: Well, you said you told me there was a very long list of Star Wars stuff you it, Watched or read or played before this? oh uh,
0: yes. Like my main beef with Star Wars is that it's been going for so long, and has been like in the popular consciousness for so long, and is so limited that like eventually it should either be like become radically different or go away. Like I've played like the Jedi, the two Jedi Knight games, the two Knights of the Old Republic games, the a uh, pod racing game for the Nintendo 64. I've played. A was it of... Wizard? Hmm?
1: Was Pod Racing the game Wizard?
0: Um, if that means it was good, then yes, like it's a decent racing game.
1: Okay, the me- reference fell flat.
0: Yeah, i've I've played a few of the Rogue Squadron games. I've played the Nabu uh, Nabu uh, Fighter game, the Jedi Starfighter game um what else i've i've seen the original 6 movies and the clone wars movie that did get a th- theatrical release i've read a bunch of at least well a handful of the comics i've read some of the novels that were set between um episode 1 and episode 2 i've had long conversations with a boring uncle about the Yuzang vong which are the bad guys from the extended universe <laughs> yes okay there's been so much star wars and yet it doesn't it it hasn't really escaped the shadow of the original three movies and i don't like as a culture we should probably move forward
1: so your basic thesis is that star wars is holding america back
0: well not just america the whole galaxy
1: but... I can see that. I can also see ways in which a desire to have that kind of original Star Wars experience in life as well as media holds people back. I can see how they want to view themselves as the squeaky clean rebels against the unambiguously evil empire. Yeah, and
0: like also now all the Star Wars stuff is being made by Disney, which is an evil empire, so... Yeah. Very odd.
1: So, what would you do if you were given the ability and the money to make whatever Star Wars you wanted?
0: Um, I don't know. I'd do a long-running sitcom, which was the family from the Christmas special. (laughs) I don't know.
1: Because I've been thinking about this, and if I were doing a Star Wars comic... I'd want to just change it in a bunch of ways that were subtly off. Like, I'd be using different actor references. Like, say, instead of using a young Mark Hamill, I would draw Luke Skywalker as Aaron Paul. Or, instead yeah. of the late Sir Alec Guinness, I'd have Obi-Wan as, like, Sir Patrick Stewart.
0: Yeah, you, and You kind of get that in, like, Marvel comics, that Like, they'll use, like, an actor reference for Tony Stark or whatever, but it won't necessarily be Robert Downey Jr. And I guess because, like, there was a Tony Stark before Robert Downey Jr. took the role, that's more acceptable. But, like, Luke always has to look like young Mark Hamill. Well,
1: there will be Iron Man before and after Robert Downey Jr., but to be fair, nobody... Besides me and a few others, particularly cared about Iron Man before Robert Downey Jr. But yeah, I get get your point, and I'd also, I mean, I like, I would try to keep kind of a retro-futuristic aesthetic, but maybe I'd go, I'd pick different settings, and instead of like World War II, in space, how about a d- different war, like. I realize now that I'll have to find the war to pick t- for Star Wars. The Korean and War. Sure, like, well, aesthetically, you want something with a lot of cool toys, well, so...
0: Yes, you asked, like, what would you do if you were in charge of Star Wars? Well, really, the answer would be, I would continue to do whatever market research has told me would make the most money. Or I wouldn't do it at all. Like, Like, apparently people really like this particular brand of Star Wars. I do like the...
1: I did like thinking about a subtly off-model Star Wars. But I also would like to see, like, what Tom King's been doing on Batman. Like, an incredibly pretentious, into-itself Star Wars that uses all kinds of framing sequences and meaningful echoes... And flowery oh, goes, dialogue, even goes, more so than George Lucas.
0: It goes without saying that my, that my Wookiee sitcom would have those pretentious framing sequences and pretentious monologues. It'd all just be in subtitles because it's Wookiee's yelling.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay.
0: But yes, but, we read a Star Wars comic, and indeed it is a Star Wars comic. Actually, there is it's... one point I wanted to bring up. Yes, uh, because so much of the plot of this comic is echoes of what happens in Empire. It kind of undermines Empire as a movie. Like, how do you mean? Like in Empire, I mean... there's a, like a long stretch in the middle where Luke is trying to overcome his self doubt about will he be able to become a Jedi, and like Yoda shows him stuff and it's very cool and it's very like impactful and meaningful except thanks to this comic we now know that he went through an almost identical arc already and that
1: he's a late bloomer
0: well not so much a late bloomer as that he has to bloom repeatedly um there's long stretches in empire where han and leia are fighting and it's sort of half flirting half really annoying each other and but now we know that this has been going on for months and months, and it's nothing new. Um, well,
1: it was nothing... You could say that where we got to see them in Empire Strikes Back was toward the end of these incredibly prolonged interpersonal problems.
0: Yeah, I, I Just... guess. We, um, we also see so... like a big, scary AT-AT walker. In Empire, which is supposed to be this huge, massive, impossible, imposing force, except we see Darth Vader just tear one down before it's established as a big, scary thing.
1: Well, he's Darth Vader.
0: Um, he... yeah. In well, in Jedi, we see Luke grab a speeder bike and have to fly it around through trees and not get like hit. Except we know he's done that before. Like, ha- like having these. Intercles, as you described it, where they do everything that they did in the later movies, kind of undermines the later movies, where all the exciting new stuff they were doing there is just made routine.
1: Okay, so how would you do an interquel convincingly? Like, I mean, getting the jar ready, you could have the character in the interquel be a decoy for the real character, And eventually find that out.
0: Yes. Um, Well, the real. Well, I guess you just have them do something completely different. Which, like, well, for a video game, you can kind of have stories. Like, so long as the gameplay's fun, you can do whatever with the story. But for something non interactive like this, I guess you just try and do as much different as you can. But that.
1: Or you could do something like. Rogue One, where it's completely different set of characters who we don't know anything about other than the fact that they're doomed because we don't see them again. Well, yeah, this well, But th- this we is know not... all these guys. We know what's going to happen to them. Yeah. There's literally no sense of dramatic tension it if actually... you think about it.
0: But yes, it actually kind of makes the framing of uh, Vader going to meet Jabba the Hutt interesting. Because, like, we know none of these characters die. And also Jabba the Hutt is surrounded by, like... Like, there's no, like, unique characters around him. So there's no one of top consequence that can die on either side. And it's just Darth Vader showing up to negotiations. Which, like, I is supposed to read as, like, intimidating. But it kind of just reads, like, Darth Vader after the Death Star exploded has been demoted to admin duty and is going out and just having to like get paperwork signed as punishment.
1: (laughs) Did it? Well, that would be Kieran Gillen's Darth Vader series, which was really good, but again focused mainly on other characters with Darth Vader being kind of a plot device that they could act around. Yeah.
0: So, like, that's that's a way to do something new, I guess, is to just have completely different characters that sort of vaguely touch on the parts people re- remember. But yes, yes, Star Wars comics—they are
1: talked a lot Wars. about things that weren't comics or art today. I guess mm-hmm. because we couldn't avoid them. Yeah, I mean, like, but you never really got angry with it.
0: It's just—it's more Star Wars. I mean. Ever, ever, like Everyone who's listening to this knows what Star Wars is. This is Star Wars.
1: So it's more of the same, basically. Yeah. And there's no escaping that. It's a pop-cultural black hole that sucks in everything.
0: Yeah. That is until full house parentheses of Wookiees comes out.
1: wookie around?
0: Yeah. But, yes... I think that'll wrap it up for here, for this week. Um, okay. What do we have to look forward to next week?
1: Next week, because we have listeners who gave requests, we'll be doing The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl Volume 1, Squirrel Power, written by Ryan North, illustrated by Erica Henderson.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a sort of fitting place to go to after this because this is somewhat of a radical reinterpretation of an existing property for like a completely different market
1: true and a property that wasn't given a spotlight like squirrel girl was just a semi running joke before this
0: yeah but yes Um, where can people find your stuff online Neil
1: I am at wirecats.com W-Y-R-E-C-A-T-S. And you?
0: And you can find my stuff at daveclarkart.com. And that's Clark with an E. And until next week, see ya.
1: Bye.